Open your Bibles, if you would, to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. The last few weeks, we've looked at the struggle for leadership. Who's going to lead and teach the people of God? And the Sanhedrin have proven themselves over and over to be a flop at best through their comical bungling, losing the apostles, losing control of the temple precincts that they supposedly are in charge of, their inability to hide their jealousy, envy, and homicidal rage. They've shown that the apostles are the true leaders of the people of God. So Luke is focused on the apostles over against the temple complex and its leaders for the last three or four chapters. Now in chapter 6, he shows us, he takes care to zoom out a little bit and show us the apostles aren't everything. The church needs lots of people who are not apostles to get anywhere. Acts chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Now in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a murmuring against the Hebrews by the Hellenists, because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them, and the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these seven administrators, these seven deacons who came and blessed your church. Lord, help us to see that as important as the apostles are, the church is far more than the apostles. We pray that you would send to this church the officers that you have for us. And we ask for your whole church, Father, that those who are supposed to pray and minister the word would not be distracted from that, and that those who are to mobilize the body in physical service would not be distracted from that. We thank you for this God-ordained division of labor, and we pray, Father, that you would build your church just as you promised. Help us to forget distraction and to focus on what the Spirit has to say to us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, the devil attacked in chapter 4 by getting Peter and John arrested. He attacked in chapter 5 by sending Ananias and Sapphira to start lying. Satan filled their hearts to lie to the Holy Spirit about the size of their charitable giving. Both of those attacks are frustrated, so in chapter 6, the devil attacks a third time, this time by distraction. He attempts to get the apostles to leave the word of God and start serving tables. Now this attack too is foiled by the appointment, the election 
of seven administrators who will handle the daily distribution. What's the point? Well, as I said, Luke is showing us that the church is more than the apostles. Christ is adding officers and members to his church. Well, the frame around this picture is church growth. Verse 1, the number of the disciples was multiplying. Verse 7, the number of the disciples multiplied greatly. Luke is telling us church growth is not a panacea. You can be multiplying disciples, right? Multiplying is cool. You have two, and you multiply that, and that becomes four, and you multiply that, and that becomes eight, and you multiply that, and that becomes 16. Typically, in our day, the church grows by addition. We have one church, and that church, if it's successful, might plant one church. If it's extraordinarily successful, might plant two or three churches. But here, we have one church planting two, which plant four, which plant eight. This is how the church is multiplying. And it's in this context that challenges arise, namely the challenge of daily distribution. In Jerusalem were these two groups, the Hebrews and the Hellenists. As far as we can tell, these groups were divided by language. Hebrews spoke Aramaic at home. Hellenists spoke Greek at home. No. Two people divided by a common language. Well, they're divided by the curse of Babel. I don't know what you're talking about when you speak Greek to me. And I don't know what you're talking about when you speak Hebrew to me. Any of you who have had the privilege of worshiping in a different language in another country know how tedious it can sometimes seem to be. Well, this is the fault line across which conflict erupts. Our widows, say the Hellenists, not getting treated fairly. So the apostles nip this in the bud by appointing administrators. What's the point? What is Luke trying to to show us? Well, the non-apostles in office are essential. Uh, We'll look at really half a dozen lessons from this text. The first is that every office in the church is ministry. The word ministry, or diakonia in Greek, appears three times in this text. Uh, First, as the word distribution in verse 1. And then as the word service and serve tables in verse 2. And then as the word ministry and ministry of the word in verse 4. Our translations thus give us the impression that the only ministry in the church is the ministry of the word. That serving tables is not ministry. That handing spinach to a widow is not ministry. But in Luke's vocabulary, in Luke's thought world, all three of those things... Our ministry, serving tables, and daily distribution, presumably of food. We're not sure what this daily distribution was, but food is the only plausible candidate of something that needs to be handed out daily. You can send a welfare check every month. You can give out household items or goods on a certain day. You can have your clothing closet open on the third Thursday. And most people's clothes are able to last for a month, but food 
doesn't last that long. And so there's a daily distribution, presumably, of food to widows in this early church. The word service, diakonia, keeps cropping up. I once spoke to a woman who told me, you say I'm not qualified to be an elder? Therefore, I can't serve in the church except by inviting the pastor over. Just wanted to shake my head. That is not what the Bible says, and I hope to God that that's not the impression that I've given anybody. Because as Luke puts it, this is ministry, and that's ministry. Their ministry of the word is ministry, so is serving tables, so is helping widows. So in this sense, the minister and the private Christian are in the same boat. We all need to be ministering or serving in the church according to our gifts and needs. And yes, we serve both according to our gifts and according to our needs. You serve the body by making your needs known. Luke is not trying to say, oh, widows, they don't serve the church. Widows get serviced and the church serves them. No. If you have a need, you actually serve the church by bringing that need. That's your ministry in the body. Thus, my pastor, my childhood pastor, speaks frequently of the ministry of suffering. If you have a chronic illness, if you have some kind of long-term pain in your life, physical or emotional, that's a need that you bring to the body. That's a way that you serve within the church. Right. In other words, if you get this wrong, then you start to get upset. Well, ministry in the church is limited to certain people. The able-bodied, the wealthy, the mechanically skilled. Well, that, that is not the New Testament church. And that is not what Luke is trying to suggest. Rather, he's suggesting the exact opposite. Ministry in the body is not limited to the young, rich, healthy, and good-looking. Ministry in the body is for everyone, according to your gifts, according to your needs, according to your skills, or lack thereof. Right? Maybe you're skilled at fixing cars, or maybe you're skilled at breaking cars. Maybe you're skilled at doing heavy lifting, or maybe you're skilled at being weak and having fragile bones and not being able to do heavy lifting. These are different ministries within the body of Christ. So every Christian ought to be in ministry. And if you have too narrow an idea of what ministry is, you'll think that Jesus, or more likely you'll blame the church, has excluded some Christians from ministry. Women can't minister in this church. They can't be elders and deacons. But of course we could uh, expand that. Pastor's not allowed to be a Sunday school worker or a nursery worker. Right? I've never seen a church that takes the pastor and puts him in the nursery and puts the nursery worker up front. It doesn't make sense. The pastor is not wanted to be the treasurer. Keep that guy away 
from the money, please. Don't let the children teach adult Sunday school. We have certain standards and ideas that make the church work much better. That doesn't mean that those people are excluded from ministry. It means that their call to ministry is slightly more specific. Thus, the apostles exclude themselves from the ministry of serving tables. It is not desirable, it's not profitable or fitting or right for us to leave the word of God and serve tables. Ministry is not about job titles. Notice that Luke carefully keeps job titles out of it. And thus debate rages, is this the origin of the office of deacon? Well, Luke never says, and these guys were deacons. Nor does he say they were apostles or elders or ministers. Later he calls Philip an evangelist in chapter 8. But he doesn't say, doesn't give him a job title, because to minister you don't need a job title. That's not the point. The point is the needs and the gifts within the church. It's about serving Jesus Christ. And that can mean preaching a sermon, or handing out spinach, or a cup of cold water, or any other ministry to which you're called. So the apostolic church needs people who aren't apostles. The twelve summoned the multitude and said, we can't leave the word of God to serve tables. That would not be right. And so Luke has boiled it down then to there's two groups of officers in the church. One of them is described as those who serve tables. The others group as those who minister with prayer and the word. So verse 4, we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Is it wrong for the apostles? Is it wrong for the apostles to act as administrators and make sure that the food gets distributed correctly? If somebody wants to shut off that fan, that's fine. We've got some nervous people in here. Dan or Jim. Yeah. So the apostles. aren't supposed to serve the tables. You got it. The apostles say we can't serve tables. Not our job description. Instead, we'll give ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. Now, when I first came to Gillette, I went to the Gillette Pastors Fellowship, or as was then called, the Gillette Ministerial Association. I'm still an active part of that group, but at that time, the group was led by one of the mainline pastors in town. And she presented to us at that first meeting a number of opportunities for the pastors to get involved in. The one that she particularly highlighted was... uh, this thing sponsored by the school district where you could go to a school cafeteria, an elementary school cafeteria, and read stories to elementary kids while they ate their meal. 
And if you wanted to go above and beyond, you could bring cookies to serve along with reading the stories. And she touted this as a wonderful opportunity for pastors in the community. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. I leaned over to Alexa and whispered something like, this is the definition of leaving the Word of God to serve tables. This is exactly what the apostles said they shouldn't be doing. Here I am hearing a clergy person tell me that this is one of the best opportunities for clergy that she could think of. What do the apostles mean? To give themselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. Well, those are two very important ministries in the church. And the first half, the best half, is prayer. It's the first part of the elder or minister's vocation. There are lousy preachers out there. But if they pray for their people, that does more for you than anything I can say in this pulpit, no matter how good it is. I can talk to you. I can tell you what the Bible says. I can't change your heart, but I can ask God and He can change your heart. That's why if you go to a church and you don't hear the pastor pray before and after the sermon, you should seriously question what that pastor intends the sermon to accomplish. What does he think he is? A motivational speaker? What does he think his words are going to do without God making them effective? (coughs) The first half and the best half of the apostles' task is prayer. And of course, Paul in his letters says regularly, I don't ever stop praying for you. I keep on praying for you. I'm always mentioning you in prayer. So I try to do this. I have... All of your names in alphabetical order on the directory by family. And I learned that directory and I go out and pray for each of you on a daily basis because that is part of the minister's calling. Prayer and then the ministry and specifically the ministry of the word. Not all ministry is ministry of the word. But one important ministry is the ministry of the word, which Luke has already highlighted several times, of course as the apostles' teaching or the doctrine that the apostles communicate. Well, here the apostles mention it again. We need to tell people what's in the Bible. So in other words, the apostles and preachers as their successors don't need to be preaching politics, economics, sociology, news, or any other item, history, philosophy, Science, music, art, literature, those things are fine. They're good disciplines in their place, but they are not the pastor's calling, which is prayer and the ministry of the Word. A church should be a refuge from the fracases of the day. If I sound just like the talking head that you hear when you turn on network news, then you're in the wrong church. It's no longer a church. The pastor is not devoting himself to the ministry of the Word. He's devoting himself to something entirely different. This is not C-SPAN. 
No. Prayer and the ministry of the word. And so the apostles say feeding widows is a good thing. Feeding widows is something that the church ought to be doing. And feeding widows is not our job. Not because they hate widows, but because they love the people of God and they want to feed the people of God with the Word of God and they want to pray for the people of God as the most important part of their calling. This same minister who was leading the Gillette Ministerial Association told Alexa not too long afterwards, Alexa described my sermon prep process and this minister says, I wish I had time to do that. Well, why? Uh, Alexa just gave up and went for watermelon or something. That's what we give ourselves to. Prayer and the ministry of the word. And if your pastor doesn't want to do that, you need to kindly suggest that he go do something else. The extra officers, the ones who are not apostles, they serve tables. They make sure that no widows are neglected. Serving tables might mean counting cash, kind of at a counter, or like a bank clerk. That's one way that the word is used in the Greek of this era. It might also mean, kind of what you think it means, literally walking around with plates of food and handing them out to people. That's how Luke describes the task of these seven, whether you want to call them deacons or administrators, the seven have this task of serving tables. And what is their qualification? Notice that the apostles don't say, let's find people with food service experience. Let's find people with who've been in finance. And I got some communication from the denomination this week. Come to this webinar. It's with a deacon at a church in Nashville who's also head of multifamily lending at Fannie Mae. Well, that's cool. I mean, that's a great credential, right? This person obviously knows something about finance. But that is not what the apostles said. Let's find somebody who runs the city of Jerusalem on behalf of Pontius Pilate. Let's get some administrators who are good at business, who send 15 ships a year across the Mediterranean. No, the qualifications they're looking for are character qualifications. They're of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit, and wisdom. That is the qualification of these table servers. We need somebody who can make sure that the widows get fed, but we primarily need somebody of good, solid character. And in particular, they need to be full. Full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. And in fact, Luke uses this word full then throughout the rest of this passage to highlight the necessity of not appointing needy buckets to this business. 
And so, verse 3, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Verse 8, Stephen, full of faith and power. And verse 10, they were not able to resist the wisdom and spirit by which he spoke. He's so full of wisdom and the spirit that they can't stand against him. And then in the next chapter, chapter 7, verse 55, Stephen is described again, he being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. So later in the New Testament, these offices, the successors of the apostles, are described as elders. The successors to these seven administrators are described as deacons. We read about that in 1 Timothy 3. Paul also mentions them in Philippians 1.1 to the church in Philippi with the elders and deacons. I think it's pretty clear that these seven administrators map clearly onto the later New Testament deacon. That the successors of the apostles map pretty clearly onto the later New Testament elder. But Luke doesn't use titles here because it's not about the titles. It's about the ministry. One serves, ministers the word and prayer. The other serves tables. And the ones who serve tables need to be full. They need to be led and controlled by the Holy Spirit. Come from a place of fullness, not from a place of emptiness and need. Oh, i got to have that title in the church or I won't have amounted to anything. No, it's only someone who can say, I don't need the title. I serve with or without the title. Who is eligible for ordination to serve tables. So what does it mean to be full of the Spirit? Well, that the fruits of the Spirit are brimming over in your life that they're visible. Whenever you look at this person, you see love, joy, peace. And to be full of the Spirit also means to be led by the Spirit. Uh, what Luke calls wisdom. Wisdom means making decisions based on the fear of God. The most important factor in my decision making is not how will this make me look? Not how will this affect my pocketbook? Not how successful will this be, right? That's what we call pragmatism. No, the wise man makes decisions based on what does God think about this? I'm afraid of what God thinks. I fear God and so I make my decisions based on His opinion. That's the kind of person you want as a deacon in your church. Not somebody who makes their decisions based on how soon they can get back to drinking, as Paul talks about, not given to much wine. Not somebody who makes their decisions based on best practices in the world. Somebody who makes their decision based on what God thinks. And that, of course, means they need to know this book well. Otherwise, we just recreate God in our own image and say, well, God thinks what I think, naturally because my opinions are correct and God's opinions are correct and therefore God's opinions are my opinions. Don't choose somebody who thinks that to be your deacon. These men are also full of grace and power. That was Stephen, full of grace and power, doing great wonders and signs among the people. Grace means the ability to forgive. 
Somebody told me this week, it's sad to watch my non-believing father. He's in his late 80s and he's forgotten everything except the people who wronged him. That's the opposite of Stephen. He was full of grace and power. And what is the power that he was full of? Well, it was power to do wonders and signs among the people. Verse 8. But more than that, the power that these officers need to be full of is power over money and all it represents. Pleasure, lust, sin, political power and influence. These deacons were able to tell money to take a hike. Luke typically uses power over material things to signal spiritual power. And that's what he's doing here. A deacon, somebody who is driven by financial considerations, who lives and dies for money, is not fit to be a deacon. Rather, he's got to be full of power over money, the spiritual power to say no to sin and yes to God. So how do we find these people who are full of wisdom and the Spirit and grace and power? Well, the answer here in the text is that it belongs to the whole congregation to do so. The twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, Seek out from among you seven men. Why seven? We don't know. Seemed like a good number. But in order to find the men, the apostles don't say, hmm, let me think. Oh yeah, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor. Oh yeah, Timon, Parmenas. You guys are it. Rather, they go to the congregation and say, congregation, you know who meets these qualifications. Look around you. Find those people. Thus the principle, officer selection involves the whole church. Nomination is the prerogative of the body. Anybody in the church is able to look around and say, yes, he would be a good deacon. He would be a good elder. And then go talk to the person and say, I think you would be a good deacon. What do you think? That's why in our officer nomination period earlier this year, we called on you. Look around and see if your neighbors are fit for this task. That's how the apostles did it. And then officer ordination belongs to the apostles who pray and lay hands on them. The elders are the successors of the apostles in this. And now to ordain officers, elders pray and lay on hands. So what happens when the church combines these two things? The word and prayer with the serving of tables. Well, Luke doesn't tell us specifically other than that the church grew. But he implies strongly that that's how widows are cared for. The corrupt temple establishment lived on widows' property, Jesus says. You devour widows' houses. Now the true church feeds widows. Our church does not have a single widow in it. We have one widower. The Lord hasn't seen fit to send us widows at this point. So it's not necessarily part of our church's job to feed widows right now. We have other tasks. But a church that's properly set up 
with elders and deacons, word and prayer, and the serving of tables takes care of the widows. It also eliminates ethnic conflict. When the deacons are doing their job and mobilizing the resources of the congregation to care for its neediest members, Hellenist Hebrew spats vanish. Black and white problems disappear. Jew-Gentile fissures and fractions go away when the church does this. And Luke gives us a specific example. A great number of the priests were obedient to the faith. Now those of you who have done evangelism and tried to tell your unbelieving neighbors about Jesus know how hard it is to convince somebody, A, you're a sinner, B, Jesus is the answer to that problem of being a sinner. But imagine trying to convince a neighbor who makes his living by serving another religion. That's where we're at. These priests, that's their daily calling. That's where their money comes from. If they leave their priesthood behind, they also leave their job behind. But a church with functioning deacons is a place that's safe to go to, even without a job. I can leave my job because the church has a functioning welfare relief system that will help me until I can find another one. That's the calling of the church. And the church exercises that calling through deacons. So finally, why does Luke tell us this story? Well, he tells us about the appointment of the seven and then drops it immediately. We hear nothing more of them after this verse other than ministry that Stephen and Philip do which doesn't appear to be related to serving widows. But Luke, from the beginning of his gospel, has shown us power over material things as a symbol of spiritual power. The appointment of deacons creates more people with spiritual power. How did Paul phrase it? Those who serve well as deacons gain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. Right, think about it. You have gotten to be on the front lines of seeing the church serve the neediest, the most helpless, maybe for 20, 30, 40 years. Is that going to make you bold in your faith? Does that make you more willing to step out for Jesus and say, I know the church is behind me? and will help me if I fall down. Well, of course it will. So pray that God would send deacons to our church. Pray for the kind of flourishing that the church sees when there are deacons serving tables and elders giving themselves to prayer and the ministry of the Word. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that You sent deacons into the Jerusalem church to eliminate ethnic conflict, to care for widows, to convert priests, to grow your church. Lord, we pray that you would raise up deacons for this congregation, which has now been without them for 12 years. Father, we pray that you would continue to provide these officers, and we thank you for all the ministry that happens within this body. Lord, glorify yourself in us, Help us to delight in you, to be your people, and we pray that you would be our God. We ask it in Jesus' name.
Amen.